you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. Uh, This morning, we're closing out a series called What If? And the premise of this series is no matter who we are, where we've been, what we've gone through, or what we're going through, we all ask what if questions. We all ask uh, what if questions about uh, adequacy or inadequacy. We ask what if questions about um, hope or hopelessness. We ask what if questions about community or or even loneliness. Um, These are some very, very common questions that we ask, some um, very personal questions that we ask. And here's what we believe, is we believe that there's not a question that we can ask that God's word is silent on. There's not a question that we can ask that God sits there and goes, hmm, let me think on that. That's a good one. You kind of stumped me. Uh, God actually has an answer and not just an answer, but direction to our most personal questions. But here's the thing, in order to not just know what God says, but actually to experience God. And what I mean by that is we can know a lot of facts about God. If you grew up in church um, and you, you grew up like in a family playing Bible trivia or whatever, you can know a lot of details about God. You can know a lot of facts about God. But when it comes to actually experiencing God, that's a whole nother ball game. And what I mean by that is actually experiencing like we know God is love, but experiencing the love of God. We know that God gives grace and mercy and kindness and compassion. But to actually experience God's grace, mercy, kindness, and compassion, that's a whole nother ballgame, right? So one of the things that we come back to in this series and that we've been together, Oakwood, in this series is understanding to bring our most personal questions to God, we have to first be honest with ourselves about ourselves, about our questions, and we have to be honest um, with ourselves and with God about God and our questions toward God. Now, if you grew up in church like me, that can kind of be a scary thought. Being completely honest and open and transparent with God about what I think about God. And here's why. Like, we know the Bible stories, right? We know that God flooded the earth. We know that God rained down fire from heaven. We know that God smited his enemies. Not really a verb that we use in 2023, but he smited his enemies. And if we're really being honest, we really don't want to be on the equation, on that side of the equation. We can't swim that good. We don't want to be crispy. And we really don't want to be smited or smoted, whatever the verb tense there is, right? And even further, there's a part of us that we start to think, how arrogant is it of me to bring my feelings about God to God? Like when I'm confused about God, when I'm maybe angry about God, or where God has me, or maybe I have some doubts about God, or some fears. How arrogant is it of me to bring that to be open and honest with God? Because, you know, He's God, I'm not. And here's what I would tell you. I would tell you that God knows it all anyway. We might as well be honest with Him. And number two, God is big enough to handle it and loving enough to guide us through it. Here's my encouragement to you, Gainesville Oakwood Online. Keep directing your questions to God. Keep directing your honest feelings and your honest thoughts about God toward God. And see, I think this is what Jesus was getting at in part when he said this in Matthew 7. Keep on asking, you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open to them. Here's what I would tell you. Keep on 
asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Keep directing them at God. Whatever what-if questions you may have, keep on directing them to God. And this morning, I want to end this series with probably one of the most personal, one of the most private, one of the most common questions that we ask, we just don't give verbiage to. We don't say out loud because we're afraid of what it sounds like if we say out loud, and we're afraid of what other people may think if we say it out loud, and somehow we think that if God hears us say it out loud, then it actually matters more, or it offends him more. Here's the question. What if I feel like God's forgotten about me? You ever ask that question? Like, you ever felt that question? What if I feel like God has forgotten about me? This question is most often asked on the backside of some trauma. This question is often asked maybe on the backside of a medical diagnosis. This question is asked maybe on the backside of a shift in relationships with friends or family. This question is often asked with a shift, a financial situation, maybe at work. This question is often asked when you feel in between what was and what will be, but you're kind of in that in-between zone. This question is probably the most personal, the most private, the most common question that is not given voice to out loud. But I want to tell you something, church. There is great precedence in this question being asked. Remember how I told you that the Bible is never silent on anything that you and I will ever face, go through, feel, or ask? This question is actually personified and exemplified in a passage in the book of Exodus. If you have a Bible with you, whether it's hard copy or digital, I want to get you to turn over uh, to Exodus chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Now, while you're looking for it, let me kind of bring you up to speed on some context so we're all on the same page. The book of Exodus is written about a historical event, the leaving the Israelites' captivity and their leaving slavery, their leaving captivity out of Egypt. What I mean by that is the nation of Israel, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, the Jews, they were enslaved by the Egyptians for a hundred years. And we know this, that God selected an 80-something-year-old man by the name of Moses to be his primary mouthpiece, his deliverer, to the nation of Israel, for him to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and says, hey, God, the God of the Israelites said, let him go. And finally, he relents, he lets him go. And we know historically around 1444 BC that about 2 million Israelites left the empire of Egypt and started their trek, not just east, but southeast. They left captivity. And during this trek called, known as the Exodus, during this trek, God would, uh, would guide them through a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he would do some absolutely amazing miracles on their behalf. He would part the Red Sea to where they could walk across on dry ground. He would feed them daily with quail and manna from heaven. He would even, when they got thirsty and there, there, there were no springs, no oasis in the area, he would, he would instruct Moses to, 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 to strike a rock, to speak to a rock, and out of that rock, water would flow out, and it would give sustenance, it would give hydration to the people. He did some amazing miracles on behalf of the people. So by the time we get to Exodus chapter 24, and verse 1, the nation of Israel is kind of camped out at the base of Mount Sinai. 
Now, to give you some historical reference, you can actually visit this site today. It's actually in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula, which is in the Middle East, and it's called Jabal Musa, is the name of the mountain. That's modern-day Mount Sinai. So here's where we pick up the narrative. It says in verse 1, chapter 24, Then the Lord instructed Moses, and let me kind of go ahead and put a precursor out there to us. We're going to do a little bit of reading this morning, probably more reading than we normally do, just for, the, just for the overview of the narrative of where we're going because we need to get a complete picture of actually what's going on, a complete context of what's going on. Verse 1, chapter 24 says, The Lord instructed Moses, Come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, Abahu, and, the 70, and 70 of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up, up the mountain with him. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. And all the people answered with one voice, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. Because if you're a parent out there, you feel me, your, parent, your kids, when you say, Hey, I'm going, I need you to do this, what do you do before you leave? You write it down for them, right? Moses did the same thing. He wrote down all the Lord's instructions. Early the next morning, Moses got up and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and he also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins. The other half he splattered against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey it. And the worship service is about to intensify. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and splattered it all over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. That's how you know they were serious about it, right? Because half of us are going, man, that's intense. And half of us are going, that's disgusting. But we can all agree they were serious about this. Skip down to verse uh, 15. He says, Then Moses climbed up the mountain, and the, and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside the cloud. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Then Moses disappeared into the cloud as he climbed higher up the mountain. He remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now, you would assume... We've got all is good, everything's going great. Moses already given the instructions. The people say, we will obey everything you say. They have this massive worship service. Everything is good to go. And then, like, we just keep going, right? Well, there's a problem. Here's what I want to get you to do. Flash over to chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Verse 1. It says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come down the mountain. Now remember, 40 days, 40 nights. They hadn't seen from him. They hadn't seen him. They hadn't heard from him. Nothing. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. 
Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. And the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Here's what I would say to us, whether you're in Gainesville, Oakwood, or online. Listen, it would be so easy for us to sit wherever we're sitting, where we're watching, where we're tuning in, in 2023, and go, what a bunch of idiots. How in the world could the Israelites do that? I mean, we read through the early chapters. We read it. They lived it. They experienced it. How in the world could you do that? How in the world could you turn your back on God? How, how in the world can you make a golden calf to replace the God who brought you out of Egypt, who parted the Red Sea, caused you to walk across on dry ground, fed you quail and manna out of nowhere every single day, and then gave you water from a rock? And then, in the in-between times, defeated the attacking armies and enemies. How in the world could you do that? Here's what I would tell us, church. If we take that posture, I think that we miss out on what God has for us this morning, what God wants to teach us this morning. And here's what I mean. Is in order for us to learn what God has for us this morning, we can't simply be over the narrative. We have to put ourselves in the narrative. And listen to me very closely. We are, you, me, us, we are the people of Israel in this narrative. You want to know why the people of Israel melted down gold and then made it into a golden calf and worshiped a golden calf? Because they felt forgotten by God. You want to know why they built an altar, most likely on the site that an altar was previously built 40 days prior and they had this massive worship service of over 2 million people rising up with one voice, we will obey, we will obey everything that the Lord has commanded us. After 40 days, they built a pagan altar on the site of that. Why? Because they felt forgotten by God. And to serve as a launching pad for where we want to go this morning, is I, this underscores a vital truth. If you're taking notes with us, it's in your, it's in your note sheet. Vital truth, here it is. We were all made to worship. We were all made to worship. Whether or not you and I think of it as worship, we're all made to worship. Do you know what the most basic, <clears throat> the most basic definition of theology is? Mine and your thoughts about God. Most basic definition of theology. Our thoughts about God. My thoughts about God. That means that everyone... Even an agnostic or an atheist is a theologian. That doesn't mean that we're accurate or correct theologians, but we're the theologians nonetheless. Why is that important? It's because we were all made to worship. We all will worship something. We all will worship someone. We will either worship God or we will worship something or someone else in the place of God, but we will worship nonetheless. We will worship. And when we feel forgotten about God, when we feel forgotten about God, we are so susceptible to place something or someone else in the place of worship that once was reserved for God. Think of it this way. You ever dug a hole in the sand at the beach? 
If you don't fill that hole in with something, guess what's going to happen? It's going to fill in with something. If you don't intentionally place something in that hole, in the sand, in the beach, it's going to fill in with something. Same way it goes with our worship. It's when you and I, when we feel forgotten by God, we become so prone to place something other than God in the place of God as the object of our worship. So before we go any further in unpacking this text, can I ask you a really personal question? This is a question that God has really convicted me of recently. Here it is. What is my go-to golden calf? What's my go-to golden calf? What is the thing or the person that I turn to instead of God for wisdom, guidance, direction, peace, comfort, courage? What is my go-to golden calf? It can be our spouse. It can be our, our, our family, our kids. It can be our work. It can be our friends. It can be other people's advice. It can be our own personal experience or instincts. What is my go-to golden calf? When I feel like God has forgotten about me, what do I turn to to make sense of life? When you feel like God has forgotten about you, or when you feel that God doesn't have anything to say about a certain sector or element or facet of your life, what is your go-to golden calf? We've all got them. We've all got them. Now, I do not want to dive into this morning how to avoid making golden calves in our lives. Instead of golden calves, make hamburgers. I'm not diving into that. You see, I think that making golden calves, I think that's uh, symptomatic of the overall issue. What I want to dive into this morning is what should we do? What are we called to do from Scripture, from the Word of God? What are we called to do in those times, in those seasons, in those moments when we feel forgotten by God? Because if we don't get that right, then we're going to become so prone to making golden calves in our own lives. So instead of, re- instead of talking about the, the symptomatic issue of the golden calves, What I want to dive into this morning is much deeper. It's more of a root, more of a core question. What do we do when we feel forgotten by God? So glad you asked. If you're taking notes with us, we're going to walk through three simple truths this morning. When I feel forgotten by God, it's important for me to remember what looks and feels like a consuming fire is often used by God as a refining fire. When I feel forgotten by God, what often seems, what looks and feels like a consuming fire is often used by God as a refining fire. Remember the, when we're reading in, uh, in Exodus 24, remember what the fire at the summit of the mountain looked like to the Israelites? Let, let me show you. This is in verse 17, Exodus 24, 17. To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, remember Moses has gone up to the mountain, right? To the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a what? Like a consuming fire. That's how it appeared. That's how it looked. But just because it looked like a consuming fire doesn't mean that it was a consuming fire. That's just how it looked. 
As a matter of fact, we can read the rest of Exodus 24. We can read Exodus 25 all the way up to 32, Exodus 32, and we discover it wasn't a consuming fire. It was a refining fire. Now, what am I talking about with fires in our lives? Here's what I mean, and I think that we can all identify, we can all track with this. Have you ever felt like life just keeps piling up on you? Like it's one thing after another to where you feel like you're just about to crack. You feel like you're about to like just bow under the weight. You feel like you're about to break. And in all honesty, you feel like you're about to get burned up by life. That's a fire. And even though we feel like they are consuming fires, more often than not, God uses the fires in our lives, those times, those seasons in our lives as refining fires. Here's what I mean by that. Is the, uh, is the worker of precious metals, we'll take gold, for example, a, a master goldsmith, what this master goldsmith will do, he or she will put a lump of gold into a basin and then heat that gold up to temperatures exceeding uh, 2,150 degrees Fahrenheit. Really hot. Like hotter than the hottest hot pocket that you've ever had. And that's lava. But they'll heat that gold up, that lump of gold up. And they'll keep heating it up. And what ends up happening is you'll start to see some things bubble to the surface. You'll start to see some flakes coming to the surface. And then that master goldsmith, he or she, she'll, she'll, she'll take a skimmer and she'll skim across the top and she'll get those flakes and she'll like dump them off. The, the technical term for that is dross. They will draw the dross off the top. And then they'll heat that gold up some more until there's no more impurities that rise up from, from un, uh, up underneath. So when there's no more impurities, they know that the gold is purified. Our measurement of, our unit of measurement to talk about the purity of gold is carat. So you can go into a jewelry store and you can look at a gold bracelet or earrings or necklace or whatever it may be. And if you see something that is 24 karat gold, 24 carats means that denotes that it is 100% gold. There's no mixture of, of copper, silver, or, or any other alloy. However, you can go from 24 carats down to 18 carats, 10, uh, 14 carats, 10 carats, 9 carats. The lower you go in the carat count, the higher percentage of impurities in that gold. The lower percentage of pure gold. 24 carats the highest. From there, there's an incremental shift down to less purity of gold, more presence or a higher percentage of a presence of another alloy. You may say, why is this important? This is a principle that's actually all throughout Scripture. That God uses refining fires, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. Not because he wants to destroy us, but because he wants to purify us. Not because he doesn't like us, but because he wants to use us. And in order to be used for in the way that he wants to use us and that he knows that we will be most satisfied in him, we need to be purified of everything that is not of him. But so easy, it's, it, it's so often it's easy to look at the fires in our lives and go, God, why are you allowing me to go through this? Where are you, God? Like, don't you see? Don't you care? And the entire time, God is going, yes, I love you. I see. I know. I love you so much that I'm sitting here. I'm trying to purify you. I'm not trying to punish you. 
But as long as we look at every fire in our lives as a consuming fire, we will miss out on what God wants to teach us in the refining fires. So the first thing that we need to hold on to, the first truth that you and I need to hold on to, when we feel that God has forgotten about us, is more often than not, the fires in our lives, they're not consuming fires, they are refining fires. And if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then I can make a strong argument that every fire that we face is a refining fire, not a consuming fire. But we see in Scripture how the nation of Israel They missed this. They thought that it was a consuming fire. They thought they look at the base of the mountain and they go, Moses went up there. It looks like a consuming fire. There's no way that anybody can make it through that alive. So we skip over 40 days and 40 nights, barely, not even six weeks later, the nation of Israel is asking Aaron to make, to melt down their gold and to make an idol for him. Why? Because they felt forgotten by God and they did not hold on to the truth that maybe the fire that they saw as a consuming fire, maybe that was a refining fire. And I got to tell you that when we miss the point, when we miss the truth of the fires that we're going through, and I'm not minimizing anything that anybody's going through in here or in Oakwood or online, because I know that there's so many of us that we're going through something that is so hot, so heavy, so engulfing, that we wish that God would pull us out of that fire but he has you in the midst of the fire. He has you where he has you, when he has you, for the purpose that he has you. To teach you something, to purify you, to purify me, to purify us. And we're gonna come back to that principle at the end of our time together this morning. But because the nation of Israel missed that point, they also missed the second truth that I wanna go through this morning. Just as God is present, just as God is present and at work in the in-between times, God is just as present and at work in the in-between times as he is in the perceived highlight reels of our lives. God is just as present and at work in the in-between times as he is in the perceived highlight reels of our lives. This means that we know that God is working all things for his glory and for our good. He's working everything to the good of those who are called according to his purpose, that he is just as, uh, as in control and just at work, just as much at work as in connecting the dots as he is in the dots themselves. It's so easy for us to kind of take this ESPN Sports Center approach to the Bible and to our relationship with God. Here's what I mean by that. You can tune in to, to, to SportsCenter. You can tune into YouTube. You can, go to, you can go to ESPN.com or download the app, and they will show you just a barrage of highlights. They'll show you the home run. They'll show you the diving catch. They'll show you the slam dunk. They'll show you the buzzer beater. They'll show you the amazing landing in gymnastics. They'll show you the highlights. They ain't showing you the whole game. They're not showing you like a 3-1 count where, you know, they threw a fastball over the middle. Be like, all right, evened up the count. Three, two, full count. They're showing you the highlights, right? It's so easy for us to look at the Bible, to look at Scripture, and to even look at at our relationship with God in the same way. We can look at the Bible, and we can sit there and go, okay, I know the highlights. I know the highlights. We got uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. We got Noah and the flood. We've got the Exodus and, and Moses parting the Red Sea, people walking across on dry land. We've got David uh, killing Goliath. We've got 
Daniel uh, in, in the lion's den. He wasn't devoured or attacked by the lions. We've got Jonah being swallowed up by the whale. We've got Jesus' birth, his miracles, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. We've got the ministry and the miracles of Paul throughout the New Testament. And then we've got this, the promise of the second coming of Jesus. And let me tell you, all those things are historically accurate. They did happen and or they are yet to happen. This prophecy. They're all historically accurate. But every single one of those events happened in the context of years, decades, and even centuries in the making. Listen, whether you're Gainesville, Oakwood, online, I'm more and more convinced that our growth and our relationship with God is dependent upon our day-by-day, moment-by-moment faithfulness and obedience to Him in the seemingly mundane times. But can I be honest with you? That's really hard because sometimes we think that those times don't matter. God is just as present in the in-between times of our lives as He is in our perceived highlight reels. This means if you are a student with us or watching with us online, if you're a student, you will grow close to God if you honor Jesus by the way that you do your schoolwork and treat your classmates and your teachers. If you're a spouse, if you're, if you're married in here, you will grow close to God if you honor Jesus by unselfishly loving your spouse. On Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. If you're an employee, you will grow close to God if you honor Jesus by doing your job the best to the best of your ability without trying to cut corners because you realize you're doing it unto the Lord. If you're an employer, you will grow close to God if you treat your employees with dignity and love and grace and mercy and compassion and you live... As a businessman or a businesswoman, you live with the utmost of integrity. It's those day-by-day, in-between times. You see, God is just as present in the in-between times as He is in the perceived highlight reels of our lives. But in those in-between times, it is easy to still feel forgotten about God. Go, God, thank you so much for Sunday. Thank you for allowing me to gather together and come together and be able to sing praises uh, to you. To have, to have Michael and our band lead us in praise. Thank you so much for teaching me in your word. Thank you for allowing me to be uh, just surrounded by men and women that I know that are for me. They don't want just from me and that love you and, and, and are so encouraging. But none of this is here on Tuesday, right? None of this is here on a Thursday. So in those in-between times, I want to give you three handles really quick to hold on to when we really struggle that God has seemingly forgotten about us or when we don't feel close to God in those in-between times. Going to go through them really fast. Hold on to God's past faithfulness. The first handle, hold on to God's past faithfulness. Can I tell you this? God has never let you down, and He's not going to start now. God has never let you down, and He's not going to start now. Hold on to God's past faithfulness. He has always been faithful. He is faithful. He always will be faithful. 
But we've got to hold on to that faithfulness, that track record. Number two, hold on to God's personal promises. Years and years and years and years ago, a very wise mentor of mine told me this when I was really like struggling with kind of one in-between times. He told me, so Ben, never question in the dark what God's revealed to you in the light. Church, can I tell you this? Gainesville, Oakwood, online. If you're in a mode where you don't feel close to God, and maybe you even feel forgotten about God, go back to God's personal promises to you. Don't allow the darkness, don't allow what you're going through right now to cause you to question what God has revealed in the light. Hold on to God's past promises. And then third, hold on to God's perfect timing. Can I tell you something that's really frustrating to me about God? since we're being honest about God. It's really frustrating to me that God's not early. You ever prayed through something really, really hard? You ever been in a time or season that you're like, God, just let it end. Bring some closure. Bring some finality. On to next chapters. You're just pouring your heart out to God. You're like, God, where are you? Listen, God's track record is perfect. God's promises are perfect, but God's timing is also perfect. God is never early. God is never late. God is always right on time. God is never early. God is never late. God is always right on time. Now, some of us, we may be in here thinking, because the Israelites lost sight that God was just as present and at work in and through them when he called them to rest and camp at the base of Mount Sinai as he was when he split the Red Sea and told them to walk across. They forgot that, like, or they thought that God had forgotten about them, so they turned to another point of worship, another object of worship. There's some of us, whether you're in the room with us in Oakwood or online, that we sit there and go, then I can tell you, I feel like God's forgotten about me. After years and years and years of faithfulness and years and years and years of praying and years and years and years of serving, then if I'm honest, I feel like God's forgotten about me. So yeah, you're talking about golden calves, you're talking about turning to other things or other people as the object, as our ultimate object, as our ultimate source of guidance and wisdom and direction and peace and comfort. Yeah right there with them. That resonates with me. Can I give you some hope this morning? Here it is. Third piece this morning. Freedom can only come when we turn back to God. Freedom can only come when we turn back to God. Let me show you something in Exodus 32. And this is in verse 19. This is when Moses was made aware from the top of the mountain. It says, when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. And when he, then he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced the people to drink it. That's intense. So you've got the people of Israel. They think that they've been forgotten, about, forgotten by God. 
They think that Moses has been burned up on the top of the mountain. They make this golden calf. They start sacrificing this golden calf. They start, you know, worshiping this golden calf, this idol. God tells Moses from the mountain, you need to go down your people. They've turned to idolatry. You need to go down and take care of business. Let me tell you what take care of business didn't mean. It didn't mean that God thunders from the mountains, I'm done with all of you. Let me go start back with Israel 2.0 to where these people, they won't like worship a golden calf. Let me tell you what take care of business means or meant. It meant that the golden calf had to be destroyed, but God didn't destroy his people. Can I tell you this, church? In order for us to experience and to live in the freedom and the plans and the mission and the purpose that God has for you, for me, for your family, for my family, for our neighborhoods, for our community, for our region, for our world, he's got to destroy the golden calves in our lives, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. God knows that the only thing that will satisfy us is him. The only thing that will provide true direction and true hope to a lost and hurting and broken world is him. But we've got to destroy the golden calves in our lives. We've got to destroy those idols. Listen, it is so amazing. You go from this point forward. Let me tell you what happens in, uh, let me tell you what God does in his people. The people, they were unfaithful to God. God would continue to be faithful to the people. Guess what? You can read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first page of the book of Joshua. God did deliver his people to the promised land. Out of, the, out of that line of people, he raised up a man by the name of David, a man to, to be king over his nation, Israel. And this king, David, went down and is known as a man after God's own heart. And out of the line of David, God brought Jesus into this world to be our Messiah, to be our Savior, to be our Lord, to be our rescuer, to be our remedy, to be our redeemer. God did not give up on his people, but he had to destroy their idol. Can I tell you this? God's not going to give up on you, but he has to destroy your idol. I heard a really, I had a conversation with a really, really good friend of mine a couple weeks ago who's just been through a lot. And he told me, he said, Ben, let me tell you something that I learned a couple years ago. God is more than willing to allow us to hit rock bottom if rock bottom is where we'll find him. So I'm going to let you know, uh, let you in, look kind of, kind of behind the scenes. Um, early in the morning, on Sunday mornings, when we do run-through, we get to do a service. We call it a VIP service for the Oakwood campus. Oakwood campus right now, they have one service. That means that everybody that volunteers and serves, like in kids' ministry, they don't get to go to the service when the service is happening. So we do a service for them. And in our VIP service, this is how we closed out our VIP service this morning. We prayed for every single person online, every single person on, on Gainesville campus, Oakwood campus. That we know that God is more than comfortable, allow more than okay to allow us to hit rock bottom if rock bottom is where we'll find him. But we don't have to hit rock bottom. God wants to save you from that heartbreak and from that heartache if you just allow your heart to be tender enough to turn back to him, to where you say, God, 
I've tried every, all different types of golden calves in my life, all different types of idols. I've turned to a lot of different advice. I've turned to a lot of different sources for wisdom and peace and calm and comfort, and none of them satisfy me. This is the invitation. This morning, freedom can be found. Hope can be found only in Jesus Christ. You don't have to hit rock bottom to find him. This is the open invitation for you to experience the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. But it starts with your surrender. It starts with our overall hunger and desire to be used by God in a way far beyond we're allowing him to use us right now. So to, to, to help us walk through and set the stage for our time of response, I want to walk you through three key questions. And at this time, I know Pastor Greg, he's going to take it uh, from here just to kind of navigate these three questions live in the room uh, with, with, with our family down at Oakwood. So Pastor Greg, go ahead and take it from there. But up in Gainesville and online, let me kind of walk you through three questions. And these questions are in your, in your notes. Number one, do I feel in some way that God has forgotten about me? And what has caused me to feel this way? It starts with being honest with yourself about yourself. And it starts with being honest with God about what you think about God. Do I feel in some way that God's forgotten about me? And what has caused me to feel this way? Can I tell you this? God hasn't forgotten about you. He knows you. He loves you. He knows you by name. He has plans and purposes for you. He hasn't forgotten about you. Question number two. What can God teach me about him during this time or season that would be difficult for me to learn otherwise? Can I lean into this one for just a second? There are some lessons, some things that God wants to teach us about him that they can only happen in the fire. They can't happen outside the fire. There's some things that I can learn, that I can only learn about God and my walk with him in times of deep sadness that I can't learn in times of happiness. And the same thing's true for, for you as well. But what do we do? We try everything that we can to escape the sadness, to get out of the sadness, to get out of the storm, to get out of the fire. Can I just encourage you for a moment this morning? There are some things that God can teach us only in this time and only in this season. And when I start to understand that, when we start to understand that, we'll embrace two huge words of encouragement. Number one is we're in the hands of the master craftsman. We're in the hands of a master craftsman who's not trying to destroy us. He's trying to purify us. He doesn't hate us. He loves us. He's not discarding us. He wants to use us. And he will not allow you to be crushed and consumed because you're in the hands of the master craftsman, a perfect, loving, heavenly father that knows what he's doing. And the second word of encouragement that'll, that when we start to embrace this truth right here, that there are, things that there are some things that God can only teach me in this time and in the season in the fire and a refining fire that he can't teach me otherwise, is it actually causes me to lean into the fire, 
to go, God, if you have me here for this time, for this season to teach me what you want to teach me, squeeze every drop out of this lesson onto me and into me. Because God, I don't want to go back through this. I don't want to have this lesson retaught to me. It actually causes me to lean into the time and into the season, not to try to run away from it. But then there's that third question. In what ways do I need to turn back to God? In what ways do I need to turn back to God? That is a simple matter of surrender to where when you start to understand and when I start to understand, when we start to understand that God... I turn to this person or I turn to this outlet for my peace and for my guidance and for my direction instead of turning to you. God, I don't want to do that anymore. God, replace that person in my life in that spot. Replace the joy that I'm chasing after by going hard at work. Replace that joy with the joy of being just your son or your daughter. In what ways do I need to turn back to God? God, what idols are in my life? What golden calves are in my life that you need to destroy? Not to destroy me, but so that I can actually live in freedom. Like I said, these are three reflection questions, personal questions, that I don't know how you're answering this morning. I know how God has beat me up over it over the past several weeks. But it's driven me to Him. It's driven me to prayer. It's driven me to community. It's driven me to lean into the time, into the season, into the fire. Not try to shirk away from it. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray over us. And our band, they're going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a song. And if you know what you need to do, the holiest, most obedient, boldest thing that you know that you need to do is just to stand and sing with us, then by all means, you do that. But if you know that you need to come down at these steps, at this altar, and say, God, I need to be reminded that you haven't forgotten about me. I need to be reminded that you are just as present in these in-between times as you are in the perceived highlight moments of my life. God, I need to be reminded that there's hope. God, teach me what you want me to receive out of this time and out of this season. You respond however God calls you to respond this morning. God, we thank you, not just for your word, but we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your promise. God, we thank you for your person, who you are. God, and who you are is a perfect, loving, heavenly Father that loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. Therefore, you will bring us through refining fires. God, even though from our perspective, sometimes it looks like they're consuming fires, what you're doing is for your glory and for our, for our good. So God, I pray that you would bring encouragement to anyone in here this morning that feels that they have been forgotten by you. God, that your presence would envelop them and engulf them in such a way that they know that you are not just with them, God, you are in them and that you are for them. God, anything in our lives that we need to lay down at your feet, God, we lay it down freely. And God, any lessons that you want to teach us 
during this time that you have us in, during this season that you have us in, God, bring it. Bring it in full measure, knowing that we are in the hands of a master craftsman, knowing that you are trying to teach us things about you and our relationship with you that we can learn in no other context. But God, we just sometimes, we just need to be reminded of your love in the midst of the process. So God, however you call us to respond, God, give us the courage and the obedience to do that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.